Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you today. This is AJ Rounds from Rev Road and Jake McCarg from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. We are excited to be here for another episode of the Midnight Founders Podcast. And today we have the pleasure of being here with Paul Brown from the NBC program at the University of Utah. That's right. Welcome. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been looking forward to this for some time. It's been on the schedule. We had to reschedule. A few times. Yeah, yes. Some of true. them were my fault. So I'm I'm excited that we're finally here. We tried so. to incorporate golf somehow Yeah, we did, but this, then it got too cold. That didn't work. I think it snowed on us There's twice. now, you know, two feet of snow on the ground. So, <laughs> so now we do it. It's going to be days, a while till we play golf. Five days before Christmas. We'll try that now. Yeah, we should yeah. have gone to Top Golf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. We just really opened that. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, welcome. Um, to get started, uh, let's get the 30-second elevator pitch on what the MBC program is. Well, a lot of pressure. I, I, I provide so much harsh feedback to my students who don't do good uh, elevator pitches. I hope I can do it. So Master of Business Creation. It's a one-year in our full-time program or a 15-month program in our online program where students bring a startup uh, into a master's program. We surround them with a ton of one-on-one mentoring, and we provide incredibly relevant experiential curriculum that they immediately translate into their company. So we teach you how to build a financial model for your startup, and rather than creating one to please the professor, you actually build one for your company. We teach you how to build a marketing plan. You build one for your company. Uh, we teach you how to develop a sales program. You do that for your company. So it's, it's um, you know, the University of Utah's entrepreneurship programs are rated fourth nationally undergrad and I think eighth nationally graduate. So top, top tier entrepreneurship program. You get a great degree, but you really build and grow your business um, with a lot of help. And then we surround our students with a bunch of other stuff. So we have a $5 million venture fund. We have a whole bunch of $500 to $2,000 grants that they can use for marketing tests and attending conferences and trade shows. We have, a, we have an in-house agency that helps them do digital advertising. We have uh, MBA students who are there uh, doing market studies for them, competitive studies. And so we just surround them with tons of this uh, help and assistance. It's, it's, a, it's the coolest thing I've ever done. It's a blast. So, Paul, it sounds like it's a cool blend between getting an accredited degree and using that information in practical ways to build your company. Exactly. And and I think wow. what we've found is that there's a lot of folks out there who don't have the networks that maybe I have uh, or or they, they just need um, a little more support they may need an excuse to give their parents <laughs> for why they're doing this startup that seems crazy to their parents. But, you know, so it's this wonderful combination of getting a really nice graduate degree and building and growing a startup. I think you're exactly right. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a great combination. Very cool. Yeah, I, uh, so I graduated with an accounting degree. And I remember my first day on the job, I was like, they taught me none of this. Like, I learned nothing. And I, I understand debits and credits, but I don't know how to do 
anything in the accounting software. And so I like went back to the teachers and I was like, what the heck? You just like dropped me in a minefield. <laughs> you had no idea what I was getting myself into. So when I talked to the students actually behind the scenes at the MBC program, that was their biggest thing is the professors that are teaching the classes and helping them through the curriculum are professionals. They're people that have lived and worked and breathed and cried through entrepreneurship. And so there's nobody better to teach that program than people that have been through the, the trenches. And it seems like, I mean, the challenge with higher education, we've talked about this before on the podcast, is the second you graduate, like what you experienced, Jake, it's old information. It's antiquated, yeah. right? Whereas here, you're putting into practice right then and there, especially with marketing, which changes, you know, monthly, right? So this is uh, very cool. Yeah, I was super impressed. Yeah. yeah one, of my, one of my colleagues, Jeff Davis, who is actually the founder of Molio, which is an agency and has... Uh, done Aura Brush as a founder and worked for Procter and Gamble for 30 years in, in their marketing and and has just done amazing stuff. Jeff always says what we're really giving our entrepreneurs is a toolkit, and that toolkit is sort of timeless, right? And they can they can do it in their current startup, they can do it in their next startup, they can do it if if they decide to shut down the startup they bring into our program and join another startup, they can take that toolkit there. So. We sort of welcome a variety of pathways, and we don't we don't measure our entrepreneurs in the MBC program by whether they raise ten million dollars, you know, in an A round or not. That's not how we we don't think that way. We just want to give them the skills they need to be entrepreneurs. It's it's so fun. It's just the most fun I've ever had, and I've had a pretty fun career. Well, and I, lo- I love I love your passion, Paul. Yeah. So that that was my next question: is how did you get to this point? Tell us about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, so uh, born and raised in Salt Lake City, went to the University of Utah and got the least entrepreneurial degrees imaginable. I got an undergraduate degree in philosophy and political <laughs> science. <laughs> no there kidding. There you go. No kidding. No judging. Right? Uh, really kind of uh, liberal education, which is great because it teaches you to think and write, you know, and that was good. Went off to law school at Northwestern University in Chicago, planned to stay for about three years, and my wife and I ended up staying 26 years in Chicago, raising our family there. So um, I worked at the world's most profitable law firm for 10 years, Kirkland & Ellis, a big international law firm. Uh, Started out as an associate, was a partner. And then one of my clients, which was the Blue Cross Blue Shield system, hired me away from Kirkland. And so I went there initially to run their law department as a pretty senior executive, um, part of the CEO's strategy council and, you know, good, it was a great position. And I ran the law department there, 40, 40 or so lawyers and paralegals and a, you know, tens of millions of dollars of budget. So that was a good experience, learned a lot. And a few years into that started getting a little bored And I had this idea, and the idea I had was, wow, Blue Cross Blue Shield as a big incumbent insurance provider is not super innovative. And yet, we have all this capital because we're insurers, right? We have kind of the GEICO model. You're sitting on all this capital. Why don't we take a little bit of our capital and do some really innovative venture investing in up-and-coming healthcare companies? So I went to my CEO, really wonderful guy, Scott Sirota, and said, Scott, I have this idea, and I want to do this, and 
what do you think? And he said, well, that's a really cool idea, but I'm not going to give you any people and I'm not going to give you any money. See if you can do it. So I spent about a year. <laughs> yeah, great. The challenge is so on. So I spent about a year and had just dozens of people tell me that this would never fly. It would never happen. I spent about a year designing a venture fund, kind of coming up with an investment thesis, and I went out and I raised $116 million as a first-time fund manager and got 11 blue plans as limited partners in that fund, partnered with a buddy of mine who was at an incubator in Chicago, Matt, uh, Matt Downs at, um, at Sandbox Industries, kind of partnered with them and closed the fund. And so we were off to the races managing, you know, first-time fund managers managing this $116 million healthcare fund. Wow, that's a pretty healthy fund for it's your cool. first yeah, go Yeah, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. And so did you leave your job? So I was still vice president and okay. deputy general counsel at the Blues, managed, co-managed this fund with Sandbox for a couple of years. And, and I just want to tell your listeners – there's nothing like a little bit of good luck. So we had a couple of early exits that were really good. And word kind of got out among the Blue Cross and Blue Shield plans all over the country that we had had this. So it was time to raise a second fund. I went back to my CEO and I said, you know, I like being a venture capitalist more than I like being a lawyer. <laughs> so I want to go run this second fund from Sandbox. I want to leave. I don't, I want to stop being a lawyer. And he was really supportive and a great mentor of mine, but he said, um, and at this point they still hadn't gotten involved officially. Well, no, they were, we, we'd closed the first fund. The okay. first fund was doing okay. well. We'd had a couple of exits. People were kind of, there was kind of this buzz around the fund, but I think my CEO, Scott Sirota was a little worried that, um, you know, I, he didn't want me to leave because a big reason why people had participated in it was that I was involved and there was this continuity. So he said, well, we're going to make you vice president of venturing for a year or so. So kind of, you're going to keep doing that a little bit. You can go join Sandbox. You'll have this kind of dual role, you know? So I was a managing director at Sandbox. I was vice president of venturing for the National Blue Cross organization. Raised a second fund. The second fund was 180 million, and we doubled the number of LPs. So we had 22 blue plans as limited partner investors and never really looked back from there, and it was great. And I think by now that fund is you know, close to – I think they're on the fourth or fifth fund, and they've, I think it's close to a billion dollars under management. I might be off 100 million or so. But, but that was really my – that was how I – kind of took my entrepreneurial journey. And I remember Incredible. telling my wife was like, wait, you have this cushy executive job. You know, <laughs> you have eight weeks of vacation a year. You're being well-paid. You have this amazing retirement. Why do you want to go off and you know, start a, <laughs> start a fund? But, um, she was supportive, talked her into it and, um, and then just started investing and sitting on boards <laughs> and sourcing deals and building a team and doing all that stuff that VCs do. So, um, and how long have you been doing that? So I did that for about five years. Okay. And then it was time to raise the third fund. And I think you guys have probably had guests on your show talk about how hard it is to raise money. And even though we had had tremendous success, I was just not super excited at the prospect of raising a you know, 200 plus million dollar fund. And so right about that time, 
the then dean of the business school, Taylor Randall, who's now the president of the University of Utah, kind of approached me and he said, why don't you come out? I'm teaching this class to MBA students. Why don't you come out and co-teach it with me? And I, I thought he was just being nice, like, oh, come teach a class or two. And so I did that. I think what he was doing was trying me out a little bit. So I taught the classes. They went well. Um, and then he said, well, why don't you come out and teach at the University of Utah? So he kind of got me at a vulnerable moment because <laughs> I would have to spend about a year of my life on the road raising a third fund. Um, our youngest daughter at that point was going off to BYU. So we were, my wife and I were empty nesters. We'd always entertained this idea of coming back to Utah after 26 years in Chicago. So anyway, he put together a really nice offer for me, gave me an endowed chair and uh, really gave me a lot of freedom to build whatever I wanted as a, as a professor. So long story short, we moved back to Utah um, about seven and a half years ago and I started teaching, which I'd really never done before, um, but I loved it and, I, and it and I seemed to be reasonably good at it and loved the students. And so I started teaching mostly undergraduate courses and um, in entrepreneurship, uh, venture capital entrepreneurship, a little bit of healthcare, and then my colleague, Troy D'Ambrosio, and the former dean of the school, another good colleague of mine, Jack Britton, had in the meantime come up with this idea for MBC. So I started teaching in the program, loving it, loved teaching in it, especially the one-on-one -on -one mentoring that we do. We really work intensively with our founders in the program. And then uh, Jack was the director of the program. He was retiring, and he uh, asked they asked the dean and everyone asked me to become co-director with my colleague Taft Price. So Taft and I are co-directors of that program, and that's what I'm doing now. So that was a long story, but a really unlikely journey, right? Um, philosophy major, lawyer, healthcare executive, healthcare venture capital fund manager. I actually did a little consulting startup in there as well to professor to you know co-director of this MBC program so and I'm a really active angel investor I've been a partner in another venture fund um, I'm on I think five startup boards right now and um, in the trenches act active angel investor so just a lot of stuff going on but it's been really fun I've loved it so sorry for the long-winded response but that's that's the that's the journey guys perfect uh, that's fascinating it is. Yeah. Mm. Um, one question, uh, while you were going through that, I was thinking, you know, there's probably a lot of listeners here that are, that are looking at uh, venture capital firms. So with your experience being on the other side of the table, um, what advice do you have for them in uh, picking a venture capital firm to do business with? That's a great question, Jake. And I think um, for some reason that I don't understand – Everybody focuses on the diligence that investors do on startups. And I think people under discuss the diligence that founders and entrepreneurs need to be doing on the people who invest in their companies. And I get it, right? I mean, sometimes you're so desperate for capital that you're not thinking, wow, is this a good partner? Do I really want to partner with this investor? But 
I mean, I have some students who just a while ago had a foreign investor who they knew nothing about with sort of an obscure background and not much of a track record, you know, come to them and offer to invest money. And I said, do you really want to take this? What do you know about this guy? You know, how is this a smart thing to do? So I think you're right. I mean, I think people need to do diligence on venture funds and angels and others as much as those folks do on startups. And the way I do, I do this thing. I don't know. I know other people do it. There's no genius in this, but I do this thing where I ask people for references. I talk to their references and then I ask the references for references. And I call that backdoor references, right? Where you're, you're talking to people who know the person you're asking about who you didn't get from the person, right? So, because right, if someone asks you for references, yeah. you're going to give them people. Give who, them AJ. You're going to give them people yeah. who've had positive experiences with you. Yeah. But I like to kind of get. <laughs> be careful with that one, Jake. Yeah, maybe, you better be careful. Maybe AJ. <laughs> but you know, I like to get that sort of second order of people, and because they're not expecting it. Because they're not yeah. expecting you it. You may get not, some crazy stories. Yeah, you get some crazy stories, and and I, I think for founders, the thing they should do is talk to other founders who have been backed by that investor and just say, what's it like working with them? Mm. That's a really good piece of advice. I, I, I never really thought of it that way, so that's smart that you do that. Yeah. What would you call them? The backdoor, backdoor references. Backdoor references, yeah. I, I, I call it backdoor references. It's sort of a reference that wasn't tailor-selected yeah, by yeah. the person you're asking about. They haven't been hand-coached. Yeah. It could almost <laughs> work in hiring, too. I can think of a lot of applications for that. Yeah. That yeah, cool. and LinkedIn has made it pretty easy, right? I mean, yeah. you can do it. Uh, it's not that hard, right? Good you point. can, you can. I Facebook stalk people. <laughs> yeah, so that's another way you can do it. Yeah, yeah you can do that Social too. Media. It's a little creepy, but you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, what um, we get a lot of questions here on what is the difference, or what is maybe the synergistic relationship between the Lassonde Institute and then what you're doing at the NBC? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So people understand that? Yeah. So the Lassonde Institute is a an amazing and very unique, um, very, very unique institute at the University of Utah. It, um, founded by very generous donations from Pierre Lassonde and his family. Pierre's a graduate of the University of Utah. Uh, built a, a very significant fortune in gold mining. Uh, he's a Canadian, and he is just passionate about entrepreneurship. So, so the school started working with Pierre, and he had this vision for really empowering entrepreneurs. So the Lassonde Institute, um, it's a, it's a lot of things, but the main thing it is is a sort of a interdisciplinary hub for entrepreneurship on campus. Now, Lasan Studios, which is the physical place, is a really innovative idea. So it's a dorm in the middle of campus where students can live and work on their startup in the same place. So there's a workspace, there's, there's a maker printers, space. there's a, ma yeah, we call it a maker space. It's a really cool space where where you're sort of living and working in an integrated way. That's and really it's a very cool. beautiful facility. I yeah, mean, it's it's won awards. Edge, yeah. yeah, it's won awards, and and you know, um, colleges and universities all over the world have come there to see how we're doing it. And it's really um, Troy D'Ambrosio's brainchild. It's amazing. He's built it. I give him all the credit. And it's a, it's just an amazing place. So they have pitch events. They have hours with experts. It's a place where you can find. 
someone who's a developer or a co-founder or who can do digital marketing. It's just sort of this hub where all this stuff happens. And um, MBC, Master of Business Creation, of course, is, you know, formally speaking, it's an academic program. It's a one-year master's program. Now, it ends up not being like any master's program you've ever seen before. No textbooks, no quizzes, no research papers, no final exams. It's, so it's very different, but it, is a, but it is a formal accredited academic program. So our relationship with Lassonde is very collaborative. They provide funding to us through the Lassonde family, who have been very generous uh, with the MBC program. They provide marketing support for us. They... Many of our students go there and get grants uh, to do A-B testing and other stuff. So we have a great relationship with them. And Troy's a close colleague. We work together um, every day. And, and really, MBC was his brainchild along with Jack Britton. So we're close. They're, we have a close relationship, but slightly different, you know, slightly different missions. Such a, such a hive of activity going on up at the U and, and how they're focused on that entrepreneurship uh, realm and, and helping um, make it, you know, more tangible than it probably has been in the past. So Yeah, literally awesome. hundreds of startups um, incubated through that ecosystem. And, and, you know, the U's just got so much cool stuff going on. We've got a really vibrant um, impact investing and social entrepreneurship uh, program going on through the Sorensen Impact Center the first student-run venture fund in the country was started there. We've got Lasan doing all this stuff. We've got bench to bedside, so we've got this collaboration between engineers and uh, dentists and doctors and nurses in our health sciences uh, program doing medical devices and pharmaceuticals. Um, we've got MBC. We've got the Fenton Fund, the Joan and Tim Fenton Fund, which I actually run, which is a $5 million venture fund that invests in student startups. Mm. Um, we've got all kinds of stuff. And um, obviously, Jake and Central Bank have been big supporters of NBC. We really appreciate them. They've done a, a really wonderful thing in helping to support us financially and otherwise. So Yeah, it's been really fun. I was I, I kind of snuck my way in and... and got in touch with Paul and, and had heard a little bit about what was going on on up there, but, uh, have been really impressed with, you know, the team you've built and, and really the direction that you're going with the NBC program is just really fascinating to me. And I think it's going to change, uh, the game for, I bet you have a lot of universities that will start following suit soon enough. Yeah. We actually trademarked NBC. <laughs> so nobody else. <laughs> so can no use one it. can yeah. use that without our permission, but I think you're right. I or mean, they can with royalties. Right? Yeah. Or yeah. If the price is right. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll be up. I think, you know, by January, we will have had a hundred founders come through the full-time NBC program and what we're launching in three weeks, our new online NBC program. So, that online program is giving people who may have family or work obligations a little more flexibility to run a startup. Maybe they start it as a little more of a side hustle rather than having to dive in and commit 100% of their time, you know, and, and eat ramen and frozen pizza, you know, while they do their startup. So, <laughs> but we'll have a hunt, you know, but within a couple months, we'll have a hundred total founders through the program. I mean, you've had uh, Justin Ray on the, yeah. On the podcast, he's one of our great 
you know, great graduates, building He's an awesome. amazing company. Cinch yeah. is fabulous. Um, cool. Yeah. So it's 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 been a fun fun journey. So <clears throat> I I started into this uh, entrepreneur scene, you know, fifteen months ago, and it was crazy. Every time I meet a new person or uh, learn about a new product. There are so many resources out there for entrepreneurs, um, but not everybody knows about them. So it's really about just spreading the word and like sharing all of those resources that are out yeah, there. And true. the NBC program is just one of those that that I'm really passionate about sharing and I share with a lot of people and tell them to apply. But what other things are there out there? I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but uh, what other resources out there that you wish entrepreneurs knew about? Well, there's so many good people doing. I mean, I think I think one of the things we're really good at in Utah is just creating this really collaborative startup ecosystem. There's something in the water here, right? That it just people are generous with their time and energy, and they. I mean, I love what Rev Road's doing. I love what what Central Bank's doing. Um, you know, great stuff is happening at BYU. Great stuff is happening at UVU. There's Church and State. There's The Hub. There's Silicon Slopes. There's, I mean, it's all great. And it's just this, I think it's a pretty amazing ecosystem. I think we're getting a really credible group of very good angel investors and, and venture capital funds. You know, I know most of those guys, and they're doing great things. They're finding great companies. I just think... I think this is a really exciting place to be. Don't yeah. you guys? I mean, yeah. I think oh. it's amazing. I think I think Utah punches so far above its weight in terms of just the ecosystem that's being created I, here. I would agree with that, Paul. I mean, we've um, my wife and I and our little family, we've spent time outside of Utah and Vegas and, and Honolulu for a minute, and I've lived in multiple places in the country, right? And um, personally never saw myself in the Utah Valley, you know, in this area of Utah. I'm from Logan originally, but I'm telling you, there is an energy here. There's a feeling here that is nowhere around the entire country. See, I, I did the same thing, AJ, in Chicago. I was very deeply embedded in the, you know, entrepreneurial ecosystem in Chicago, and it's great. And I love, I mean, there's some great startups, a lot of great things happening there, a lot of great corporate venturing, traditional, um, I mean, there's wonderful workspaces and collaborative areas and accelerators and all that stuff. But there's just something about Utah. You know, Utah, awesome. I think the last time I looked, Utah had total venture capital raised more than Chicago. And, you know, Utah's a population-wise, probably a third tier. A fraction of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Chicago's the Chicago's the third largest city in the United States, and we're raising more venture capital in on the That's Wasatch crazy. Front. Well, and we're seeing that at RevRoad, too, where a lot of companies that are applying to RevRoad and getting accepted, they'll actually relocate their offices here to be plugged into that ecosystem because they know that there's a lot of funding happening. Well, there's a lot of eyes on Utah to see what happens in Utah, they want to be part of that look, right? Part of that, uh, you know, that that um, program, you know, part of that uh, vision. And so I, it's cool. You can see it happening. I'm on the board of a startup, um, you know, here in Utah that, you know, they'll be going out and doing an A round probably in the second half of next year. And because of my experience and background, the founder often has me, you know, join meetings he's having with 
with VCs, and he's just getting VCs from all over the country coming in, New York, San Francisco, Austin, Boston, um, Chicago. I mean, Utah's on the map now, and, Utah, you know, my old firm, Kirkland & Ellis, opened an office here now. We've got VCs opening offices from other areas are coming in. I mean, I just think um, starting to kind of get discovered uh, and it's fun to see. It's fun it's to watch. Cool. Yeah. And we're in the heart of it. So yeah. that's, that's what's so fun about it. Yeah. Paul, um, okay, story time, just for a quick second, okay? You've gone through this entire journey, right? Going from, you know, starting as a philosopher, ending up as a. <laughs> I don't think I was angel. ever much of a philosopher. Yeah. <laughs> as, an, uh, as an angel investor. Um, uh, this is the Midnight Founders podcast. So we often talk about what, what stories or memories do you have where you were the entrepreneur cranking away at midnight, trying to make things happen, feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders. Do you have a story like that you could share with our listeners that kind of embody that, that spirit? You know, I've, I've had some amazing experiences. I've been on, I think I've, I counted this up. I think I've been on 19 startup boards. Wow. And my colleagues and friends always tease me that I'm like, you know, board member for hire or something. <laughs> I've, I've been on like more startup boards. Well, that's that sign on your chest right yeah, there. Yeah, it's okay. crazy. Um, so I've had amazing things in that role. I've had, you know, founders who had affairs with um, employees. I had a very tragic experience once where actually a founder um, took his own life. Um, he felt so that he had disappointed his investors so much. And, you know, he was obviously in a really bad place mental oh, health-wise. Yeah. I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, you have all these existential problems where half the sales team leaves or you lose your two biggest customers or, uh, you know, the product fails or crashes or all that stuff. I, when I was raising my first fund, um, this, this is, this, here's a little tale of the vagaries of fundraising, whether it's from a, a fund manager or a startup. I always tell startups, I always tell entrepreneurs I work with that it's until the money's in the bank, it doesn't count, right? Like, great, you closed that deal. When the money hits the bank, we'll celebrate. But so I was raising my first fund and literally the night before the deadline of the close, we did a simultaneously simultaneous close. The night before, someone had been telling me for months and months and months they were putting $15 million in the fund. They were going to make a $15 million commitment. So they called me the night before and said, yeah, we can't do it. You know, and I had planned on it and so on. Oh, ouch. One hour later, someone whose name I didn't remember called and said, well, where do I wire the money? We're putting in $10 million. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> Who wow. what's your wow. name again? Yeah. What's your name? And I literally I didn't know those this are good phone calls. You don't get those very often. Right. And so the guy's like, Yeah, well, you came and met with us, you know, five months ago and spoke to our investment committee. Do you and I'm like, Oh yeah, I do remember. I I, I didn't say this and out loud, no but I remember thinking, I didn't have you in the um Call likely back. to invest column on my <laughs> spreadsheet, you know. So so I think that craziness about how capital flows and my, you know, my advice to entrepreneurs is when someone tells you they want to invest, you close them as fast as you can possibly close them because stuff happens and, you know, 
until the money hits the account, it's not done. So I've had so many of those That's funny, funny capital experiences. Fascinating. Well, I'm sure, uh, you know, that's one piece of advice, but I'm sure, you know, you've sit on, you've sitting on tons of boards. You've seen a ton as an angel investor and obviously almost a hundred companies have come through the NBC program, but what's one of the biggest mistakes that you see startups make? So this is kind of hard, hard doctrine, what I'm going to say, but I think, um, what I see over and over is an, an understandable unwillingness to confront the scariest questions. Do you know what I'm? Do you know oh, yeah. what I'm saying? Yep, I I do too. But tell us more so the listeners. Right. So so do you have product market fit? Is your pricing right? Do people really want the product or service you're building? And rather than do the things that get answers to those existential questions as quickly as possible. People instead want to tinker on the website and, you know, do a new software release. And, and I just, I, I get it. It's human nature. We all understand why people want to avoid the potential pain of getting the answer they don't want. But I just, I just really try to help people to confront the scariest questions the soonest, cheaply, and the fastest. Like, Get, figure out the hard stuff, the stuff that is keeping you up at night, that makes you sleep in the fetal position, that, you know, all that scary stuff. Like, get answers to those. I, I know it's scary, but get answers to those questions, you know? Not like, oh, gee, should we, you know, should we hire another person or not? Should we fix I think the website? Should we... And people tend to do what they like and what they're good at, right? Yeah. Rather than confronting the scary stuff. And sometimes where they can see immediate gratification or immediate results, right? As opposed to what, what you're talking about, which is a little more ethereal and takes time and, and effort and thought and, and a lot of analysts and research. I love working with engineers, but engineers have a tendency to want to make the product perfect and not confront the scary question of whether anyone actually wants the product <laughs> and then sales and marketing people want to sell, sell, sell. And if the product doesn't work, they'll deal with that another day. I mean, these are stereotypes, but, but both those groups kind of have the 10, like you say, AJ, to kind of <laughs> do the thing that makes you feel good, that you're good at, that you feel confident in doing, not, yeah. not doing the thing that's scary and frightening because if you get the wrong answer to the scary frightening thing you might have to shut the whole startup down right yeah and then start over yeah the, i i think meeting with all of the companies that we meet with it, it would be easier i think for them to hear like hey you're ugly than it would be to answer some of these questions on their startup because this is like their baby that they've spent thousands and thousands of hours just building and nurturing and and i i just think that that's you're right it's human nature it's so hard to kind of just address the elephant in the you room sometimes yeah, you know that well you know here's a here's just a little micro example of it so i have a founder that i've worked with for some time and um right when we started working together this person asked me well what do you really think about like the fundamental value proposition of my business. I really want to know, like, be really honest with me. What do you think? And I said, I don't love it. <laughs> and 
Although we have continued to work together, and although this person is still building and doing cool stuff, and I'm still investing time, I kind of feel like this person has never fully recovered from that. You know what I mean? Like, Like, it just shows you how emotionally saturated entrepreneurship is it's really hard it's we all know it's really hard to do yeah and so just even when someone really presses you and says no i want you to know tell me tell me i want to know tell me is it is it do you love it i'm like "Eh, i don't love it and then you'd hope you know a person in your shoes in that moment they would say well tell me why and tell me where that's based from and and how do i you know get more information like that and i did I, i explained why but it's it's hard. It's really it's really hard. This is people's hopes and dreams and lives and emotions and self-esteem and yeah. identity and a lot of stuff, right? Well, it goes back to the Rev Road thing. Like you guys talk about grit all say, the time, right? Well, and, and we've got the five H's, you know, our values, right? Humor, humility, head, hands, and, and heart, right? And if you don't have that humility component, I mean, you've got to be teachable as an entrepreneur and listen to what the market's telling you and other advisors and investors. And if you never listen and you're just one channel going forward, uh, you know, come hell or high water, it, it can end up in disaster. Yeah. And, and it's inten- and as you say, AJ, it's intention because I think an essential skill to being an entrepreneur, you're creating something that's never existed before. Everyone's telling you, the world's telling you, you can't do it and you shouldn't do it. So you need this single-minded focus in order to make it happen. But while you have that single-minded focus and drive, you've also got to somehow balance that with an openness to feedback, right? And answer those foundational and questions. And answer those foundational that questions about, that I'm talking right. about, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, here. so this, is, this sounds like a downer topic, but, I, but I'm, I'm really grappling with this now and really liking it. So... I read a book by Annie Duke called Quit. So Quit is like the opposite of a recent book that was published called Grit, right? So there's grit and quit. <laughs> and we all know about grit, you know, like persevere, you got to you got to stay in there, quitters never win. You know, we 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 all have that. Annie Duke who's a clinical psychologist and former professional poker player talks a lot about how it's really important to know when to quit certain things too, right? And that quitting is actually progress because until you quit something that isn't working, you can't do something that is working. So I'm really grappling, you know, I'm thinking a lot about um, this and how it applies to startups, both on small questions, like should we do this channel partnership or should we do digital marketing or should we raise money? Those are little, littler questions, right? But all the way up to the big question of, are we building something people want to buy? They're a willingness to pay. Do they really we've, want this? We've heard that from a few people. I think Justin actually mentioned that one of the biggest lessons he had was that he wished he had moved on from one of his companies earlier on in the process. So I'll tell you a little secret about yeah, Justin. True. When he came into the program, he had like three businesses. They were all called Sunray, right? Yeah, and I was and I was his I was his yeah, mentor. He yeah. That, didn't he? yeah, I, I was his. He's by the way, he is an amazing entrepreneur. He was so fun. He is. Yeah. I'm Lots telling, of energy. Cinch is going to be yeah. big, and he's. I mean, he's an amazing entrepreneur. 
But when he came into our program, he had like three businesses. He was one of these kind of hustler guys, you know, like I got this business, I got this business, I'm, I'm making some money from this business. And I finally just sat him down and said, you know, Justin, you got to pick one because this is really hard and you can't divert your energy and attention across three companies. Pick one. What one is the one you want to do? Because we got to do one. And that's what ended up being Cinch. But um, yeah. And did he divest of the other ones? He did. He kind of diminished Put, them or rolled them in, managed them. Yeah, managed mm-hmm. them out. But yeah. um, yeah. I think that advice right there is incredible. Uh, I agree. Because it's so easy, like as an entrepreneur, to want to feel productive all the time and like have your, you know, have your focus on all these different things. But I just, I just think that's, that's really, really good advice of just very hyper-focused on what you're doing and making sure that all your time and attention, because the likelihood of your, your um, startup succeeding is low on its own. And if you're trying to run three of them in tandem, like that doesn't increase your chances of success. Diminishes it. It probably diminishes all of them. Oh, significantly diminishes it. There's another way this manifests within a startup, right? So we've all seen this over and over and over where you're so desperate to generate revenue that you will sell to anyone. So let's take a SaaS company, for example. You've got a SaaS company that's really got a target market that is pretty well defined, but you're so desperate to generate revenue because generating revenue is the measure of everything, right? That you sell to people who aren't your ideal customer and aren't going to value the product as much and aren't going to give you as good enough feedback. And then you waste a bunch of time trying to be everything to everyone, selling the product to people who really aren't your ideal users. And then what I see over and over and over again you make the least money from those customers. They're the least satisfied. And then a year or two into your business, you have to end up firing them anyway. So, so again, it's like you got to kind of do what you really should be doing rather than trying to kind of be everything to everyone. Yeah, that's really good advice. I love that. It happens every time every startup I've ever worked <laughs> just with by their nature. Yeah, right? they're, they're, just they're, a, just, they're just they're just and you've probably seen this too guys yeah. where it's like there's just this point it's usually like a year or two into their existence where they're where, where they say well we have all these customers and they don't really value our product and they don't really like it and they're they take disproportionate um, time from us in terms of help and they're dissatisfied they don't get the value and then they end up kind of firing them so Yeah we we've learned that lesson so many times at Rev Road where we've actually now um, um, made it a point in our in our due diligence process and bringing on companies where we ask them and confirm are you full time in the business and is your founding team full time in the business because if they're not like you just said chances of their success is very low right yeah. and um, that's that's super important to have that focus and continue to have that focus, maintain that focus. So love what you're saying. I agree. I agree. Well, this has been really cool, Paul. I'm just curious, just from a personal standpoint, what what things as as an angel investor, right, what things do you look at personally to invest in? What is your investment philosophy or strategy? Yeah, I I like really hustly founders Mm -hmm. who are capital efficient, who are addressing um, 
meaningful problems in big markets with um, solutions that are unique. And I, I love, I just love scrappy kind of resourceful founders. I really do. Um, I've had really great luck with emigrants. I think a lot of our emigrant founders are really motivated and, and, have to work extra hard. That's been a really interesting little sub theme that's developed in my investing. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I love great people. And a lot of the people I've invested in, I saw them in some other setting first and then they left that setting to start a company. And I was like, Oh, I got to back them because they're just great. And, you know, I saw them over here, but I'm, but now they're starting a company. So, um, I, I love working with them. I love watching what they create. I just try and stay out of their way mostly. <laughs> I, look, I think there's a real tendency for investors and board members to to significantly inflate the impact and role that they have in startups. And I, I try to be very mindful of that, right? <laughs> right. I'm not the person working the 18-hour <laughs> days. I'm not the person, you know, missing family events. I'm not the person in the fetal position, not being able to sleep at two in the morning. I mean, I'm trying to help and provide some capital and help, but I'm not, you know, I'm not integral, I don't think. So I try not to <laughs> try not to inflate my role too much. That's funny you say that. That's funny. Well, um, where can people find more about what you're doing in the NBC and give us some contact information? Yeah. So um Anyone who wants more information about NBC can reach out to me. I'll just throw it out there. It's paul.brown at eccles.utah.edu. If you want to Google NBC Utah, you can find our website and learn everything you want to know about the program. You can also sign up to participate in live online information sessions that we do. We are just now wrapping up our recruiting for our online program, which will start January 9th. We're just doing a few last-minute interviews. We'll probably admit a few more people. So it's probably too late at this point to apply to that program, but you can apply a year from now. And then we're doing ongoing recruiting right now for our NBC full-time on-campus program. And we'll be, do, we'll be accepting applications and interviewing for that through probably March. So there's still plenty of time if people are interested in the full-time program. Cool. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, yeah. One question that we usually ask at the end is, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to discuss or share with entrepreneurs? The floor is yours. Gosh, that is so hard. I feel I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of talked out, you know. Yeah, but, that's great. Um, you don't have to have anything, um, but yeah, I I just I just really admire the people who actually do this. You know, I, it it's one thing to invest capital in them and help them a little, but I'm just sort of in awe of, of entrepreneurs. You know, I chose the the easier route. I chose to kind of invest in them. That's much easier. <laughs> Writing a check, it's much easier. Teaching them, you know, advising them, it's much easier. It's, but it's just so fun for me to watch them, uh, what they do. And and I have I've done a lot of stuff in my career. It's been fun, but just watching these student founders um, do stuff is amazing. The thing that's neat about the NBC program is we're it's not like an incubator. 
you know? So these are real companies. You know this, Jake. You've, yeah. you've seen them. So I think of all, the, of all the college and university programs in Utah that I'm aware of, I think we are, we are working with teaching and graduating the most advanced startups. They already have the most traction. Yeah, they have the most traction. So we, like in our current class, we have um, multiple founders with north of a million in revenue. Are they all revenue positive? They're not all revenue positive, but we, but, 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 you know, I think 75% of them are generating revenue. Mm -hmm. And so they tend to be a little farther along. So it's just, it's just a blast to work with them. So fun. So fun to watch. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for Uh, having me. This has been been so fun. fun. We'll watch your progress. Yeah. Thanks guys. The Midnight Founders podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And RevRoad is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.